The reading for this afternoon is taken in connection with Belgian Confession, Article 1. The question being answered there, who is God? And so we'll be reading from Psalm 115, which you'll be able to find on page 702 of your pew Bible. Psalm 115. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory. Because of your mercy, because of your truth, why should the Gentiles say, so where is their God? But our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk. Nor do they mutter through their throat. Those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both small and great. May the Lord give you increase more and more, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the children of men. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. So far, the word of God. So now we'll also be reading the summary of the doctrine of God and the eternal salvation of man which we can find in the Belgian Confession, which uh, you'll be able to see on page 499 of your book of praise. We'll be reading from Article 1. Article 1. There is only one God. We all believe with the heart and confess with the mouth that there is only one God who is a simple and spiritual being He is eternal, incomprehensible, invisible, immutable, infinite, almighty, perfectly wise, just, good, and the overflowing fountain of all good. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who is God to you? What is your idea of God? In our world today, there's often a funny view of God. Putting aside those who reject him completely, you can basically break the rest down into two parts. First, you have the God who started the world spinning. A God who flipped the hourglass upside down or winds up the watch and he stands back and he's basically watching the sand run down from a distance. If he's there at all. This is the God that most of the secular world believes in. Your neighbor, the average guy walking down the street and 
The average person you meet doesn't think much about the divine at all. You ask on a university campus, do you think there's a God? Maybe. Maybe not. I don't really know. It doesn't affect me in my day-to-day life. So it's not important to me. I don't feel like he's particularly involved with me. Second, you have a God who is involved with the world. He started everything and now he upholds everything. And it's not just the laws of nature that he's involved with upholding. But he's intimately involved with our day-to-day lives. Which God do you believe in? The latter is the God that is spoken of in our psalm today. That is the God in whom we put our trust. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. We have a God who is loving and a God who is faithful, a God who is involved. We have a God who is. And at the end of the day, that's who it's all about. It's all about our God. We owe everything to him. And to him belongs all glory, power, and authority. Our God is. This truth is what the reformers of old wanted to emphasize so strongly. That's what Guido de Bre, the author of our confession today, fought for so fiercely. He wanted the people to return to a right understanding of God. Not a God who is far away and distant. Not one who needed the priests to mediate for them, but a God who is powerful, who is ever-present and good. A God to whom they could come. When he wrote this confession, it was during a time of fierce persecution. The Netherlands were under the control of Spain, and the Spanish fought with all their might to stamp out Protestantism. But Debre and the other reformers stood fast. And he desperately wanted to show those who ruled that this was no small thing for him to do. It wasn't for no reason that he held to the reformed faith, but it was because it was his firm conviction. As he wrote, along with all the others who held to it, they would rather offer their backs to stripes, their tongues to knives, their mouths to gags, and their whole bodies to fire, rather than than deny the truth expressed in this confession. And many of them did. Because of that, he did not keep his beliefs to himself. Instead, in defense of reformed people everywhere, in the face of mounting persecution and mounting slander against them, he snuck up to a castle wall and he threw this confession, our Belgian confession, over the castle wall in the dead of night to be sent to King Philip of Spain. De Bray later died for his beliefs. He was tortured severely, and on the 30th of May, 1567, he was hanged. But he wasn't hanged before this confession spread throughout the Reformed world. A confession of a man with all of the natural fears of men but a man with a boldness given to him by God. And though his flickering flame went out, through his work and the work of so many others, the Holy Spirit stoked up a fire that turned into a blaze 
which spread across the continent and spread across the world. This confession that he made is a confession that each and every believer ought to make. Consider what you hold in your hand today. This confession based on the summary of Scripture. Scriptural truths that are dear to our hearts. Do you believe in it firmly enough to die for it? Many did. This is a confession that every believer ought to make. And it begins with a statement about God. This is a fitting way to begin a confession of faith, and it's the foundation for all our belief. To say that God is forms the basis of all true religion. As we read in Hebrews 11 verse 6, that the one who comes to God must believe that He exists, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Debrev begins, we all, all of us, everyone who I'm teaching, interacting with, we all believe with heart and confess with the mouth. You'll notice that that's a quote from Romans 10. We all believe with the heart and confess with the mouth that there is only one God. This established the foundation of what he stood on, the bedrock. And indeed, this establishes the basis of biblical religion. As we read in the famous Shema passage of the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6 verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There is only one God, and besides Him there is no other. He's not divided into parts, but He is unity in Trinity, and Trinity in unity. As we read in our psalm, all the other gods that we set up in our lives are hopeless in comparison to Him. For all others, their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see, ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have everything that makes them look like human, everything that makes them look like they would be able to interact with this world, and yet they are impotent. Those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. Nothing else that we lift up in our lives compares with our God. Nothing else is worthy of our worship or worthy of a number one place in our lives. Nothing else deserves such a prominent position. What do you make sacrifices for in life? What do you sacrifice for in life? Your money? Successful career, material possessions, the perfect family, the reputation that stands out over and above everyone else's. These things at the end of the day do not speak, do not comfort you, and they don't direct you. They do not hear your pleas for mercy in your times of distress or your cries for comfort in times of sorrow. Their feet are immobile. They don't fly swiftly to your rescue. They are dead things. And those who elevate worldly things to such a position of worship and sacrifice will become like them, empty 
but our God is. He is a God who is in control of everything, who loves his people enough to share about who he is in his word, to send his son to redeem them, to send his spirit to sanctify them, the God who calls people to himself. He is a God of the most perfect attributes. And these are the ones which are brought forward in our Belgic Confession today. Our God is a simple and spiritual being, not made up of many parts. We read in John 4, verse 24, God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. And what a beautiful truth this is for us. As God is spirit, that means he can inhabit all planes of existence at the same time. He can be anywhere and everywhere at the same time. We need never feel far from God because God is. God is the one who is there. He is eternal. We read in Psalm 90 verse 2, Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God is not bound by time. Whether we're young or we're old, God is always present. God is always present. He is the God who is and was and is to come. And while this era in human history might feel like it's unfolding in a frightening or uncertain way for us, he's in control of even that. No part of the future is out of his view. And when we come to him, no part of our past can escape his forgiveness. He is eternal. He's also incomprehensible. This is not to say that we have no idea of who God is. He revealed himself to us through the Bible. In Scripture, we have everything we need for our salvation. That being said, we can only grasp the tiniest part of the immensity of who God really is. He is infinite and his ways are beyond understanding. But we can know this. Psalm 31, verse 15. My times are in his hands. When this world seems to be out of control or far too dark or senseless, our God is so far beyond it. Our God extends from age to age. He can make sense of it because he can grasp all of it within the infinite workings of his mind. He's working it all for good. Now, the fact that he's incomprehensible might make people a little bit nervous. The fact that he's so far beyond me might make them think, maybe he's working on a different agenda and he says something to me, but he's going to change his mind partway through. But in case we had a reason to hesitate, beyond that, taking into account who he is, we also confess that he is immutable. This means he is unchanging. This does not mean he cannot change his mind from punishing someone to giving them mercy as we find so often in Scripture because that's completely in accordance with his nature. That's in accordance with who he is. But it does mean that when it comes to his promises, we ought not to doubt them. For in his very nature, he is unchanging. He is sworn by himself 
and he cannot deny himself. And so we can rely on him for everything. As we read in James 1 verse 17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Even when we change, he does not. So have you fallen away from him? Come back to him today. He won't turn you away. Come back to him today and see if he doesn't receive you with open arms. His promises are faithful. God is invisible. But simply because we cannot see his person doesn't mean that we cannot know that he is there. And because of that, he's imprinted the knowledge of him on all creation. Psalm 19, the verses 1 to 4. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet, their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. All creation shouts out that he is that he exists, and as we saw before, that he rewards those who seek him. God is almighty. There is no power that can withstand him. He declares it himself in Exodus 6, verse 3. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God almighty. Everything from the hair which falls from our heads to the breath we draw to the beat of our heart and the music of all creation points us to his power. What does this mean for us? This means that once he has made a decision, nothing can turn him off of his course. Once he has hold of us, we can be convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He is perfectly wise. We read in Psalm 104, verse 24, How many are your works, Lord? In wisdom you made them all. And again in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 25, The foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. This means that whatever comes our way, it does not come our way without a plan. God doesn't make mistakes. If we can recognize his wisdom in the intricate codes of DNA, which have enough information to fill a library of books, and recognize that that information fills every living organism in the world, and God oversaw it all, and he continues to oversee it all. In wisdom, you made them all. Can we not trust him when in the book of our life he puts an unexpected plot twist? Sometimes these twists in our lives can make us wonder if there is any justice in the world. Take comfort then that while the world is full of sorrow and injustice, we also know that God is just. Isaiah 61, verse 8, I, the Lord, love justice. Deuteronomy 32, The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are just. 
A God of faithfulness and without injustice. Righteous and upright is He. This may cause some of you to pause when you think over your own sin. Where is His justice when it comes to us? There we can take comfort in the knowledge that His justice did pour forth. And this speaks to the perfection of His justice. He didn't withhold His justice when we sinned before Him. But He poured out His perfect justice on His only Son, on Jesus Christ, His Son. On the cross, God's perfect justice met with His perfect mercy in the sacrifice of infinite worth. This can make us confident that our God is a just God. So what does this mean for us? It means that all injustices will be wiped away. That our God, our avenging God, will set everything right in the end. But it also means that He'll tenderly pick us up once His avenging angel has passed us by, passed over us in our wretched condition for the sake of Christ. And He'll bring us to Himself. And when we experience this, we'll really be able to taste and see the goodness of God. The sum total of all God's attributes. It's the one part of His glorious nature which summarizes every other part. In Exodus 33, Moses said, show me your glory. And God responded, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and show compassion on whom I will show compassion. One theologian wrote, you cannot have goodness without God and you can't have God without goodness. God alone is good. And how can you describe it any better than that? Every beautiful and wonderful thing on this earth flows down to us from the perfect goodness of God as a measure of that goodness that He is. God is good and there is no other. This is the sum of theology this is our God. We have a God who is, who was, and is, and is to come. And He is perfect in all His attributes, and He's loving in all His ways. Can you keep this to yourselves, brothers and sisters? Can you keep this secret? I better hope you can't. I pray that because you recognize Him as infinite, almighty, perfectly wise, just, good, and the overflowing fountain of all good, you wouldn't be able to hold your tongue when it comes to praising Him, to trusting Him, to talking about Him with your family members, to talking about Him within your own home, even. That like the psalmist in our psalm, today you would say, O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. But more than that, you would shout to the world, the Lord has been mindful of us and He will bless us. 
He will bless those who fear the Lord, both small and great. With this God, this God who is your help and your shield, you can cry out to the world, beginning in your own home, but going far, far beyond that, saying, wake up and see. There's chaos and tyranny to fight. There's wickedness to destroy. I have a God who has equipped, who does equip, and who will equip me to fight these things. I have a God who uses me as an instrument in fighting these things, both within myself and to come as an aid to those who are around me. Let me contend with the world, because God is, and there is no other, and He is on my side. I will sing His praise from this time forth, and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Amen.